Hello and welcome. This is your host, Jonathan Morgan, and you're listening to Design Everywhere, the podcast that invites you to ask what if and challenges you to understand the why that drives design. Collaboration is a critical element of design. It encourages the cross-pollination of ideas, points of view, and unique world experiences to help us refine our ideas and concepts and help us grow as designers. But what happens when collaborating in a physical, face-to-face sense is effectively eliminated, even outlawed? Not too long ago, we might have thought that this was a plotline in a sci-fi art school film, but we all know now that this is reality that fell like a ton of bricks in the spring of 2020. From the safety of our homes, many of us had to continue, business as usual, even though much of our work continues to be reliant on creativity and collaboration with our teams. At least in the short term, being able to effectively collaborate remotely is an essential skill for any designer. This is a challenge, but we're creative, we can figure this out. Today's conversation is with Jim Callback, an expert in the art of remote collaboration. We'll take a deep dive into the tools and methods he uses in his workshops and how he has translated this into his work as the head of customer experience at Mural, a leading digital collaboration workspace platform. Here's our conversation. I know you're a seasoned veteran of user experience research, design, strategy, author, designing web navigation, mapping experiences, and the just recently released Jobs to be done playbook. I have my copy. I'm about halfway through right now. I can say it's fantastic. I am going to stay away from that topic a little bit today because we're going to do a follow up uh, in a little while and uh, do an episode just on that. So I think more relevant to today's conversation, um, you are the head of customer experience at Mural and a prolific facilitator of uh, workshops and remote collaboration. So I guess that uh, welcome. I'm glad that you uh, took the time to be a part of our uh, discussion today. So thanks for coming. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. So I'm always fascinated by how people get to where they are in the field of user experience design and design in general. We all take these kind of winding paths. Maybe if you could uh, just start off, give me a little bit of your background. What was your path like? Yeah, sure. I studied library and information science. you know, back in around the dot-com boom era. And at that time, universities were an interesting place to be at because they were actually online. And I had an email account in like 1992 and things like that. And quickly learned, you know, a little bit of HTML, which meant I was a webmaster, right? You guys remember the title of a webmaster, which was basically the guy that did HTML. Oh, oh yeah. And that guy also did site architecture and wrote the content too, right? It was just kind of all in one role. But that started getting me interested in things like information architecture and then eventually usability and user experience. And I really got my feet wet at um, Razorfish the original you know, version of Razorfish. And of course, at that time, they were kind of defining what is user experience as a field, as an offering, um, and that kind of thing. And that, that really, I really felt comfortable there, particularly with an information architect uh, job title at Razorfish. Uh, and, then, and then from there, you know, I had a, a, some various jobs, uh, both in, inside of large organizations and at agencies. And you really got into the field of design and design thinking, design strategy as well, too being at a lot of conferences, both speaking and absorbing a lot of that. So over the past kind of two, two decades, I've kind of made that my home. But here coming to Mural then too, was interesting because it kind of put a, little, a lot of my design background in with you know remote collaboration, which is also something that I've been interested in for a while now. My previous job was at Citrix, the makers of GoToMeeting, remote collaboration. So here at Mural, I'm kind of taking that, hey, 
creative aspect, you know, hey, can we do this remote and the remote collaboration as well, too. So I've been doing this for the past five years. I'm not doing design and, 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 you know, working with product teams anymore right now. I actually head up a team of customer success managers and the support team as well, too. So I'm a little bit more on the go to market side of things, if, if you want to put it that way, but still involved in design and, and, the, and those types of communities. Do follow some of your work, and uh, it seems like you're still doing some facilitation and you're doing some education on on the topics. Uh, I saw you were going to do a, uh, a breakout workshop in a recent conference, so you're still doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. Both offline and online, I do a lot of workshops and workshops in general is where I kind of work out things in my head, uh, both to not only, you know, formulate the words that are you know going to come out uh, either spoken or written, but to kind of listen to questions that people have and to, you know, to improve a topic like jobs to be done, which I just wrote a, a book on. And then, of course, you know, now working at Mural, it's like, well, how do we do all of that in remote context as well? So just kind of combining that. But I do like to get up and speak and lead teams, uh, whether it's remote or in person. It's funny, like you've made that journey between, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm traditionally like I will do workshops and it's always in person or usually in person. And we're with our our clients and you have a certain flow and a certain way of doing things. I think recently with the situation we're in now, kind of the band-aid's been pulled off and we're all kind of moving in this direction where, um, Remote collaboration is kind of, for all intents and purposes, the only collaboration we can do. Yeah, There's a lot of talk, and I think a lot of people really picked up on it really quickly. But I think at least what I'm seeing is a lot in the remote communication mm-hmm. side of things, where it's more like, okay, let's move our meeting online. Right. Let's do this, let's do that. But I've seen, uh, especially in kind of like entertainment and things like that, where people are really getting creative around this. You know, what have you kind of seen that's kind of excited you in that space? Yeah, that's a good question. I live here just outside of New York City and I play a little bit of jazz music. So I like to go to the jazz clubs. And of course, if you're a performing jazz musician, I have a lot of friends who fall in that category. You know, those gigs don't exist anymore. So what can you as a performing musician do? Uh, And of course, then they're selling their albums or their books, a lot of online lessons uh, and things like that. But I also saw uh, recently uh, a series of concerts from people's living rooms. Right. So a famous musician, you know, pianist or guitarist or something just kind of performing, you know, without a band, you know, just kind of on their own just performing and then, you know, selling that as a concert series, Mm -hmm. actually online to to kind of keep that going. And like you said, there's lots of creativity out there of people trying to do things like that. Have you in your work, are you seeing, you know, I'd imagine there's new activity (laughs) to say the least. There's more people kind of getting into this. Like, are you coming across challenges? Are you helping people kind of get through some of those challenges? I'm sure that's a I think right now with this current situation, one of the biggest challenges is that it's sudden and that it was imposed on people, right? So then you have awkward situations where people are working at home and they're not set up for that, whether it's the kids or the space or what all these things that are suddenly conflating the, the challenge of just collaborating and, and you know connecting with other people remotely. It's really interesting, though, because... For me, prior to this situation where I know everybody's remote, like I don't have to ask if you work in a remote team because I know all you know every, everybody that I'm speaking with is is working remote. But prior to that, I you know I was kind of positioning remote skills in general, whether it's collaborating or leading a meeting, on a continuum. 
of course you want to meet people face to face. You and I met Jonathan, right? And I would never pass that up for anything. Like, and I will still fly around the world to do a workshop in person. So I'm not saying remote replaces face-to-face communication, but it needs to be a continuum. And we need to be able to keep momentum going by having that option. I need to be digital or not and have that option. And now it's just completely digital. So like a lot of my, a lot of my shtick around, oh yeah, you need the remote option. It's like, no, no, I need to do everything remote now. It's a slightly different conversation. It's the all remote uh, condition that, that I'm talking about. So some of the things that, that I used to say, I can't say anymore because it's, it's just all remote. But I think, you know, it's really interesting just the urgency and the relevancy of a lot of what I built up over the past five years here at Mural, and to some degree even before that at Citrix, understanding remote human you know connections and interaction, it's suddenly it not only is it more relevant, but it's urgent, and and that changes things as well too. So it's totally fascinating for me to have been in this space you know professionally to see to see what's happening now. The big question I have is what's going to happen afterwards. Like, and I think I think there'll be a lot of things that happen actually. Uh, one of them is maybe we don't we didn't need that meeting. Right. Uh, you know, because it might, maybe it was just an email that we needed. And you know what? Maybe I don't have to fly, you know. So you think about the actual sustainability gains and things like that. But so I think we will kind of fall back. But I think there will be a new collective attitude towards remote collaboration that we didn't have before. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm seeing it now, even just with our, you know, our small team that I work with, that that initial transition of like jumping into it really quickly you kind of go from this like formal, we need to make sure we keep these lines of communication to what is more naturally that byproduct of it. And I think we're all going to get there (laughs) eventually. Um, One of the things I was uh, going back and forth with a colleague today, is just like, you know, I kind of like this idea of, you know, we never really had like management standups to really know what all is going on around the company. So now we do that like 15 minutes in the morning. We probably know more of what's going on in the business than we did when we were, you know, 15 feet away in, in offices. So it, it, it's interesting to me how that's evolved. And at the same time, it's the, you know, going from that formality and evolving into the, the more casual mindset that human interaction really is. There's far more casual interaction, even in a business setting, I feel, than, you know, kind of this buttoned up. I agree. I think there's been this kind of revelation. Oh, oh, you know, I can have transparency even though I'm not in the same office. In fact, you know, my colleague uh, Lila von Alvensleben, she's from Switzerland, uh, kind of a, a well-known digital nomad. She speaks at some of the remote conferences and things like that. I've learned a lot about remote collaboration from her. But the last company that she worked with, we're lucky to have her here at Mural now, she was saying she felt that was more transparent. It was a completely remote company around the world. And she said that felt more transparent than other companies she'd been in where there was that face-to-face thing. And I think when you're in an office space, there's that kind of tacit transparency that if I can see you, I know what's going on. But you actually don't. And those stand-ups, you, you mentioned those stand-ups, just the amount of like slack sharing of status that we do. We've also taken now uh, at Mural, of course, we've been remote anyway. We do have some offices. So what we've been uh, adding are video reports 
our CEO, the heads of the departments were doing all these nice little video reports, which you can play at 1.5 speed and stuff. So you're starting to say, wow, I can get an update from my CEO and it goes and it's really quick. Those are the things that I have, have believed in for, you know, over a decade, you know, professionally that I think I hope that sticks. I guess that's my point. Like after we do go back to the office, which I want, you know, I want for everybody too. I don't work from an office myself, but if you do and you like that, great, let's go back. But maybe some of these things will stick. Maybe some of these transparency mechanisms and, and collaboration mechanisms will stick for the better. I agree. And it's my wish too, that we keep going with these things because I've seen a lot of resistance to things like video. So people will do a conference call, but as soon as you turn that camera on, it's like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to put my camera on. You get a lot of initials at the beginning. It's now getting to the point where I feel that people are getting more comfortable with this. It's like, okay, like, because it's so important, you know, human to human interaction is so important. And seeing that body language and knowing what's behind it, like, you know, how many times have you been on a call or in a session or something? And then you would interpret something completely differently if you couldn't see what was the expression on someone's face or their body. So I've been really pleasantly surprised at how quickly that's happened, you know, in just like two weeks. And it's probably the frequency and the urgency of it. And there's also that sense of trust and vulnerability that goes on with it that I think is a big kind of hurdle. Yeah, I got into webcams when I came to Citrix. There was a big webcam culture. And of course, here then at Mural. And I think there's a lot there. I've heard some people advocate against webcams, and then some people are just shy. But there's so much that you can do over webcams, hand signals, facial expressions. I'll, I'll very often bake that into my facilitation as well, too. Instead of saying, hey, can everybody hear me? And then there's this big long pause. And then one person says yes. Another person says yes at the same time. I just say thumbs up if you can hear me. And then boom. And then it's quicker and, and you get that feedback right away. So you can use webcams for all kinds of things. But again, I think this goes back to the inventiveness and ingenuity that we're seeing people have uh, around that. Oh, just speaking of webcams, uh, you know, in Zoom, if you ever use Zoom, you can change your virtual background. So you can have a ton of fun with that too, by the way, and have all kinds of fun backgrounds. But one cool thing that I did with my colleague in Amsterdam is he took a picture of his office and I took a picture of my office and we swapped it out. So then we came on this call and we were in each other's offices. But it was it was good because, you know, everybody on my team knows my background. And then when they saw that for him, like there was this connection that you, it was a weird connection because we live across the ocean from each other. But there, there are things that you can do, you know what I mean? And I think all this inventiveness, I think it's going to really help, you know, just remote collaboration not being this thing that people tread in the future. Yeah, and, and just having international clients and things like that to where collaboration becomes an event instead of kind of a part of the culture of you working with your your client. And that that's kind of where, you know, I'm looking for all these opportunities. So, you know, looking at different tools and how we can bring these tools together to create that culture of, you know, we, we want to be a partner with, you know, the people that we work with. So, you know, in, in my case, I work in consulting, so I'm working with a bunch of different clients. So how do we tie all that together and make it more seamless? Working with clients and consultants, that's something else. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've been talking a lot about kind of team collaboration, but then as soon as you, as soon as you have that client, you know, consultant client relationship or salesperson client relationship, it becomes hard remote because 
You want them to have a great experience. And if there's technical difficulties and all those, and you don't want to shame them with webcams and all those kinds of things. Um, but I think we're starting to see breakthroughs there as well, too. And there's lots of things that there's lots of things that we've invented and figured out just iron and iron all that out. Yeah. So lots of ironing out going on. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, you, you know, anything from getting people the technology to, I mean, how many options are out there? I was talking with a client yesterday. I'm like, yeah, it was, I think it was noon and I had already been on a Zoom call, a go-to meeting call and a uh, Teams call, you know, so like all these different platforms, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, a, can be overwhelming, but I think people are more open to it at this point too. It's just like, oh, here's something new. It's like that trial and error to a degree. I agree. And I think it's not just inventiveness and ingenuity. I think, I think there's also going to be like a broader awareness of, of different metaphors. So, you know, conferencing software has kind of metaphors of muting and webcams and stuff like that. And I've heard stories about people, you know, suddenly remote. Now they're working at home. They turn on their, you know, their, their system and there's feedback and they don't know what to do. Right. Or, oh, but every every communication tool has a mute button or every communication tool has a headset button. And I was struggling to find this one uh, on the thing we're using right now. But then I knew to go to my system and things like that. But I think those motions and those metaphors now are going to be like, hey, I know how to mute. Of course, I know how to mute. So when we come out of this, I think just things like that, like behaviors that have become internalized and metaphor, the metaphors of the mode of collaboration will become internalized. And that's why I'm, I'm super hopeful. Do you believe that this is going to lead to more of a common language across these different types of platforms? So mute, mute and speakers and things like that, that's one thing. But what about the other controls? Yeah, I do. And I think even then the, the etiquette, there's, there's a lot of etiquette. One thing that's always been kind of a little pet peeve of mine that I'm seeing other people talk about, which is great. I, lo I love it that all these people are talking about my little pet peeves, is at the end of a call, there's a moment when you say goodbye, but you haven't ended the call. And then you're just kind of standing there looking at each other. It's a second, but there's this long like... We just said goodbye, but we're still looking at each other kind of thing. Uh, and I think I think like little etiquette and like flow kind of getting into the flow kind of things, people will learn a little bit. And it's great to see people talking about all this stuff. It's, it's amazing how many remote experts there are out there now. It's, it's great. All those blog posts and, uh, that you see. As we were talking about before, it's like kind of this remote communication is becoming second nature. I still believe that there's there's a big nut to crack when it comes to remote collaboration? Like how do we do things creatively? And I, I, I guess I'm thinking of this more as like creative collaboration mm -hmm. as designers, as people that are creating things. How do we get through those design processes in a way that we don't feel like we're on islands? There, there was a piece that I read that you actually co-authored on, on kind of facilitating these workshops. And I, I thought there's a bunch of concepts in there that were like really interesting to me. And just like, just, just framing it in certain ways uh, can kind of help you make sense of it. One of the things, what was it? It's the, uh, these teams, tools, and techniques mm -hmm. and the importance of each one of those, because, you know, Team makeup is very important. The tools you use, there's lots of tools out there. What do you do? And then, you know, what are the techniques that are going to kind of work for you in those situations? I don't know if you could uh, elaborate on some of that. 
Yeah, sure. We had made a lot of observations, me and my co-authors of that. Uh, we, we've worked with dozens of, of teams and, and made, made some observations around best practices. And we were looking for a way to just kind of organize that. And, you know, and, and we started to see some patterns that there are some best practices and recommendations we wanted to make that are around the team. Uh, and the, the big, the kind of centerpiece of that is what's the shape of the team? And we noticed three fundamental patterns. One is a split team where you have a you know, conference room talking to another conference room. And then the other one is what we call a mixed team, where people are kind of dialed into a meeting room, a star phone, you know, group of people around the table, other people on the line, and then all remote. And the thing to remember across those is that engagement and interactivity is going to be different across those. So you as the facilitator, you need to remember that and adjust your engagement. Or even if you're just in the meeting and a participant, you have to remember that not everybody's gonna be on the same footing when they engage. But then if you look at techniques, what you need to think about is, hey, the methods that I would bring in, whether it's a stand-up or or an agile sprint retrospective meeting or a full workshop, that the methods that you might think about for like a face-to-face version of those, you need to recalibrate them for that online setting. And then the the team shape affects how you're going to calibrate it as well too, right? Like breakout groups is different across those three shapes. If you're doing, you know, one location to another location, you got two natural breakout groups, right? But if you're all remote, you got to think about breakout groups differently or discard breakout groups in those situations. So the team shape affects the techniques and vice versa. And then the tools obviously affect those things as well too. You know, if you have video or not, right? Audio and video, do you even have the video? But what we like to think about there is that you need to think about the different modes of communication that you need and we identified a couple of categories around synchronous, asynchronous, uh, asynchronous document sharing as well too, obviously calendaring and that kind of thing. But from our perspective at Mural, then to your point about creative collaboration, adding the, the missing link is that the visual part of it, right? And to have, to, to be able to see people and hear them, but then also to visualize the conversation as it unfolds. For me, that's the real power that Mural brings in is that it kind of closes the loop on modes of communication that we need offline when we're doing design and creative work and that you can replicate then online. The techniques change because of that, but it's totally possible. I thought it was fascinating, like looking through some of the examples of the techniques you had in there, just walking through that, it's like, oh man, it's like, I wish I could just try this with a room full of people right now, let alone, you know, doing it in a remote setting. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. now we have these tools where we can dip in and out of, of uh, you know, this remote and, and, uh, and in person, but there's just some really interesting things in there. And I, I think you mentioned asynchronous and synchronous type of collaboration. Maybe if you can dig into that a little bit, because I, I think it's fascinating how we can bring those together because it's more natural in the real world. Right, right. Yeah. It was, you know, interesting before I give my thoughts on that too. I saw recently a maturity scale. I can't remember where I saw it. Maybe it'll come to me by the end of the the session here. But they were talking about a maturity scale of like remote readiness or remote collaboration. And it was zero to five or, or one to five. And like stage four, it just said asynchronous as if like that was like the thing that you should be aiming for with remote collaboration. I I kind of reacted negatively to that because I think you can think about asynchronous across any level of maturity. You can always be thinking about asynchronous. And the thing for me about remote collaboration is that you have to have a slightly different orientation towards time. If I was face to face with you, or let's say I was giving a workshop, I can do an eight hour workshop and keep people engaged 
in a different way. And that eight hours is then, you know, compressed. When you're working online or remotely, you know, with a distributed team and trying to reach the same goal, the team shape changes and the techniques change as well, too. But you have to think about time a little bit differently as well, too. And, and, and I think that's super, super powerful because one of the learnings that I hope comes out of all of this around remote collaboration is that you can shape time in a different way and do things before they even get started. So start the collaboration before the collaboration starts, right? And do some more pre-work and, and, and homework and that kind of thing. And the same on the other side as well, too. So that you do what we call at Mural, we say maximize your together time. So that if you need to get through four hours of, thing, of stuff, let's say, or four hours of decision making, can you do an hour ahead asynchronously, come together for two hours, and then do a follow-up in, in, a, in a synchronous way? You need to coordinate those things. And it becomes hard because the thing about a real-time meeting is that there's an urgency. And by being there, you're going to participate. When you say asynchronous, then only half of the people do it. <laughs> you know, particularly if it's free work, let's say. So I'm not saying that's the panacea, but I'm saying that you can play around with time uh, in a different way. So asynchronous, I think, factors in huge into remote collaboration. And one of the first questions we say is, what can you put off and do as asynchronously? Do you have to be together to do that? And if you just answer that question, your, your remote meetings are going to be a lot better, in my opinion. I think that kind of interplay between the two also, um, the asynchronous part of it can bring unique perspectives that aren't overly influenced by the group too. So there's, I think there's ways that you can structure that to get personal points of view and really leverage the strengths of everybody. I absolutely agree. Uh, and again, you know, that goes back to the point of, you know, remote collaboration is not about replacing in-person collaboration is about, you know, kind of creating continuum. And I think there are, are there are strengths and weaknesses of each mode, face-to-face -face mode or, you know, remote mode of collaborating and interacting. There's strengths and weaknesses of each. And to recognize that and leverage that in unique ways, then I think you have this continuum of options. And if the power goes down or there's a snowstorm or there's another pandemic, you know, we don't, you, you don't have to be like, oh, I got to cancel everything. I can't, I can't operate. I, I think it's about having the fluidity. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any advice on kind of focusing it on the team's aspect of it. It's it, everyone's kind of coming at this at a, at least right now we're coming into it. Like I said, the, you know, pulling the bandaid off, but we're coming in at different speeds to a degree and, you know, comfort levels and things like that. Personalities, not, you know, uh, an introvert in face-to-face in -face in interactions is probably not going to be an extrovert on a online collaboration. Just curious if you have any kind of thoughts or, or techniques of how to really kind of get people engaged in a remote collaborative setting. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually the name of the game. And I think a lot of people are offended almost by remote collaboration is that the, the interaction is kind of squeezed through the bottleneck of one person at a time speaks and or, or multiple people speak at the same time because the conference software doesn't really direct traffic very well. But it's really about engagement. And one thing that I, that I recommend in the book and that I like to recommend to our customers is to, to think about the different modes and the different channels that you have at your uh, disposal and use those in a well-crafted way to kind of keep the engagement going. So for instance, even just the chat in a Skype call or a Zoom call, you can use that in a meaningful way for people to introduce themselves or to do a quick poll or a shout out. And speaking of polls, you can also integrate polls 
into your workshops as well too. Pre-workshop, that's something you can do before, right? To get people to do it. Hey, fill out this survey, bring those results in, then you're talking about those right away. But you can also, during a session, you can also bring in polls as well too. And then of course, you know, from my standpoint, having that visual record of, you know, a digital canvas like Mural is another mode of engagement as well too. And the best sessions that I've facilitated or that I've participated in were crafted in a way that kept me like in a multimodal way so that two hours in, three hours in, four hours in, you know, sitting at my desk, I'm like, wow, time really went by. We, and wow, we actually accomplished a ton. So, you know, being able to, to do that in a meaningful way, but not in a way that overloads people as well, too. There's also a danger of too many modes to say, oh, it's in the chat. No, it's over there. It's in Zoom. Now look at Mural. Like you don't want to do too much of it, but to engage people in different ways keeps things going. But it can also be a compression of time as well, too. I have a couple of customers who have told me that they used to have a stand-up that used to be hours long. And the way that it went was that each team or each team lead would report out for 15 minutes. Somebody would be transcribing that and then they'd consolidate it. And what they did is they shifted that to a mural and they said, everybody go in there at once and everybody put up, put up your stand-up items all at the same time. And then let's just talk about the priority ones. And they took those hour-long meetings down to an hour, or even in one case, they said it was a 15-minute meeting after that because you can do things simultaneously. Which then leads me to kind of my punchline, which is around multitasking, that a lot of people say, yeah, we don't want anybody multitasking. Humans are going to multitask. Even when you're in, in person, people are sitting there not paying attention to you. They're sketching, they're doing other things, you know, playing with their phones and things like that. So human beings will multitask. My point is, why don't you leverage that, particularly in remote settings, leverage the fact that people can do multiple things at the same time. And then multiple people can do multiple things at the same time to compress time and get actually more done. And one thing that I, I want, you know, that I shoot for is you come out of a meeting and there's no to-dos because you've actually done all your to-dos in the meeting, right? So it's not, hey, oh, I'll record that. You know, this is for Jonathan to do later. So just do it on the call while you're listening to the call, right? So uh, I think there's a compression of time that remote collaboration brings in with it as well, too. And that goes back to your async question as well. I like that idea of, you know, like, it's almost like when you have a deadline, when you have time constraints, your focus is in a different mode. Like, you, you, like okay, I want to get these things done. It's one of the, the problems that I have with a lot of, I guess, kind of more traditional workshop techniques where you, you, you know, you might come out with a million ideas, but you may feel like you're back at your starting point if you have a million ideas, but you really don't allow that, that kind of filtering time to, okay, so we've got everybody here now before we leave. So we don't have a ton of stuff to do after this. Let's just knock this out. Like, like let's prioritize some of this. It's, uh, you know, kind of think of it in a way that is going to drive us closer to the, to where we need to be, as opposed to just, you know, we, we talked about kind of like kind of getting, the team engaged, I mean, the, the, the keeping them engaged, overstimulation, overengagement can kind of burn people out. But is there, do you have any techniques to kind of bump people back in? Is there anything you can think of that's like a time to reboot and get back into this? There are energizers and things that you can do. And in fact, uh, again, my, you know, my colleague Lila, she set up a bunch of energizers, which is different than a warm-up. A warm-up is to get started, but an energizer is the thing that you do to kind of keep things going in the middle. And that's where you can use different channels as well, too. And I've seen it, speaking of creativity and ingenuity, I've seen a lot of really cool energizers and things coming out of the woodwork 
people trying to think of how they can create a connection and keep the momentum going through. I mean, now you're literally sitting in front of your computer all day long, right? That needs to be engaging and things like that. So we talked a lot about teams. There's a lot of tools out there for different things. One of the things that I've, you know, in trying a lot of the different video conferencing, and it's been kind of a, a slow burn over several years, different trying out different things. And I said, like I said before, like yesterday I was on like three different ones by noon. Some of the different kind of, uh, I guess, features like the breakout rooms, you you talked about breakout rooms, things like that. It's, are you seeing anything else out there that is just like kind of like bringing things together that are like kind of good pairings as far as uh, the type of communication and modes that people are in? It's interesting because I've always thought for a long time that actually our digital tools allow for a much richer, you know, distributed and remote collaboration than we're actually using them. So it's not a tools problem. It's a behavior problem or a facilitation problem. However, on the other side, the capabilities that tools afford us allow for new modes of interaction at the same time. So it, it's kind of a yeah, could I do breakouts in, in a remote session before Zoom had these really cool breakouts? Features like, no. So now I have this new possibility. So there, there's kind of a, you know, uh, our tools shape us and we shape our tools or we shape our tools and our tools shape us. There's almost this kind of chicken or an egg. So I don't want to say that it's only behavior, that tools do play a role in that, particularly in remote collaboration, because everything is mediated through tools. There's no, you know, just air between me and you talking here, Jonathan. It's, it's all mediated. The light, the sound, the speed of the internet, all that is. So I think tools are, it's a much more of a focus and you have to be kind of attuned to the ins and outs of what you have. And also, you know, trying new things as they come out, like you said, like breakout rooms and breakout groups. Again, that, te- that changes your techniques then too, as tools have new capabilities. Now, now I got to rethink my, my techniques as well too. So there is this kind of chicken or an egg or symbiotic relationship, however you want to think about that. In your experience, are you, because I, I know at least with me, I, I like experimenting with different things and I like kind of bringing different things together. I do kind of have go-tos, but I have go-tos that are based on specific situations too. So I might use one tool for one video conferencing tool. So do you have the same experiences or do you... Yeah, I do. I, I think you need a degree of flexibility there too. It, I mean, it becomes a problem when you know you're, you're trying to communicate with people who are inside of a big company and they have corporate issued tools and they can only use those or firewalls that only allow for those as well too. So you know, for, for me particularly as an outsider, I'm sure as a consultant, you know yourself that you need to adapt to the client. Uh, so there's a lot of that going on. But again, you know, I think just the familiarity that we've all kind of gained from this suddenly remote condition that we're in, I think will make that a lot easier because there are metaphors and capabilities out there that once you get used to them, adding new things then becomes a delight. You know, oh, breakout rooms in Zoom or, oh, Mural has a new feature, right? So then once you get kind of this baseline understanding of how it works, then adding those new things then open those doors that I was talking about in that kind of uh, symbiotic kind of way. You touched on something that I, I, I don't think I thought about until right now, but um, <laughs> where there were these kind of corporate blocks of like, okay, this is our tool. So like Teams is our tool and no, we can't install Slack on our computers or whatever. I've personally seen a lot of that resistance to letting people install that kind of stuff just dissolve because of the current situation. Right. Oh, to- oh, totally. We're seeing with large, large, our large customers, some of whom are banks, is like all of their security things are suddenly not as soft, but it, you can get through them quicker, right? Yeah, th- th- those hurdles are dissolving, yeah. 
Right. Yeah, I think I maybe I, th- I think you're right. I think there was a leap and a leap of faith, and a lot of people took that leap. And and uh, you know, again, that's kind of my hope. You know, looking back, is like, oh, this is actually kind of fun, and or this actually does work, or it's not that scary. I think there'll be those kinds of re- uh, realizations. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but digging into some of your background going into this, and I remember talking with you a little bit about this when we first met. But uh, your background as a musician and you talked about the collaboration there at the beginning. It's like a little different. So when I look at design and I look at creativity is like writing music is kind of like design, you know, some musicians might not think of it that way, but like, I think of it that way. So it's like, we're looking at collaboration from not just like designing and creating things. It's creating a lot of different stuff. So like maybe getting your take on that and just like this, how, what does all of this mean for the music world too? Yeah, uh, in- interesting. Well, you know, going back to my background, I actually studied music before I studied library and information science. And within music, I was never a great performer. I studied theory and composition actually as well too. And then I went to, you know, information you know, school and studied, you know, structuring information. And it was like, well, how'd you get from there to there? And it, there's actually a, a lot of similarities as well too. Because as a musician, when you're confronted with a, blank piece of paper it's not just you know pick up a pencil and let the muse write the song you you have to structure it right it's a very abstract type of structuring but you have to do it same thing with information as well too how do you structure information so i found the the mental space that i was in was actually very similar and you know to some degree i think you could you could talk about collaboration because that's more or less the field i'm in now is helping people collaborate but then there is you know teams tools and techniques and just even coming up with that structure is a very kind of compositional way to look at a work workshop or a meeting or a collaboration, right? So I think there's definitely parallels there as well, too. And then, of course, you know, music. And I, I have a talk on this. I don't know if you've ever seen that where I, I play with a, a band on stage and I compare a jam session to a collaboration and how you need to listen to each other and respond. And what are those rules of engagement that govern both music and, and team collaboration? And maybe we can learn from each other, right? You see this also with like improv. You see a lot of improv techniques used in design thinking. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, there are other disciplines and fields that that we can be inspired from. Looking at, you know, the situation we're in right now, where we are with design, we, we're having to find new ways to design collaboratively. So at least in the short term, like where, I guess, you know, <laughs> might be asking an unfair question without a little bit of runway before, but just like, like, how does this, in your mind, transform how we look to collaborate with music going forward? I think inclusion is going to be different. I think inclusion in design is really important. Inclusion of perspectives. So if you know if you work for a global service, you're going to have differences of perspective and backgrounds and language and all that kind of thing. And I think with you know with this uh, new awareness that we have around remote collaboration, we're going to be better able to do that to design you know from you know Chicago between Chicago and Munich, and and include those perspectives together in ways that perhaps we couldn't before. Hey, uh, Jonathan, sorry, I don't know if you can edit this out. I got to go in like 60 seconds. Oh, yeah. Nope, that, that, that's that's perfect. So uh, we can wrap this up here. And uh, thanks so much for being a part of this. Yeah. I would love to say that the abrupt ending to our conversation was to prove a point. But alas, we just ran out of time and I failed to keep my eyes on the 50 or so messages I was receiving telling me to wrap it up. But there's a lesson to be learned here. When running any type of work session or interview, 
keep an eye on the clock. It's really easy to get lost in the moment, as I have just proved. Well, that's it for today's conversation. If you are interested in learning more about some of the concepts we discussed and more, Jim has written a number of fantastic books on design, including Designing Web Navigation, Mapping Experiences, and most recently, The Jobs to be Done Playbook. Thank you for listening to Design Everywhere. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. We have a lot more episodes in the works, and there might be some in the archives that you haven't heard just yet. And if you can give us a rating or a review, we would love to hear what you think. You can follow the show on Twitter. Just search for Design Everywhere Podcast. That's at design underscore every. You can also follow me, Jonathan Morgan, at Promo Rock. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jonathan Morgan, and this is Design Everywhere. Thanks for listening. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.